and welcome back to Emily versus Science, a science-related podcast by me, your host, Emily Minerov. In episode two, we will be taking a turn from the FDA approval process and turning, <laughs> get it, get it, get it, you're about to, turning into learning about airbags and seatbelts in the cars that we drive. <laughs> get it? Wow, I'm so funny. Okay, okay, thank you for listening to my peak comedy moment there. Now, let's talk about why I chose this topic. And I chose it because I may or may not have been in a car accident. Actually, a friend, a friend, (laughs) a friend may or may not have been in a car accident where the airbags deployed. And after assessing the situation, they told me, mm -hmm, yeah, they told me that they noticed there was a terrible smell. And obviously that's a problem because when you smell things in your car, you know, that can't be good. But what I thought of with my chemistry knowledge is that the explosion that caused the airbag to inflate was what I was smelling. It was the process of lighting the sodium azide, like igniting it, and probably also whatever material is on the airbag to keep it from sticking to itself. The gas in the airbag is also not harmful. That would be pretty counterproductive for its function, but yeah, not harmful. All right, as we merge onto History Avenue, we're gonna discuss the history of airbags and seatbelts. My first thought was, well, when were airbags federally mandated? And this is shocking for many, but it's actually the year 1998. And for me as a 2000s baby, that's a lot to digest because they have been present my whole life. But for any generation before me, really, that's not the case. Now, according to the Knight Law Group, it was a norm for car manufacturers to put airbags in cars. It just wasn't required. This led me to deep dive more into the laws. So in 1998, the Intermodal Surface Transportation Efficiency Act of 1991 finally went into effect. This is the law that made it federally mandatory to put airbags in the front and side of cars. So given that cars already really had airbags and the law, the blueprints were ready, why did it take so long? To answer this question, I actually had to look more into the history of seatbelts because seatbelts were mandatory in United States vehicles in 1968, which is essentially 30 years before airbags were federally mandated. Here's an interesting fact. So Wisconsin, according to the Wisconsin Public Radio, was actually the first state to require seatbelts in the front seat of all cars built in and after 1962. And I think that's just awesome because A, safety first, Duh. And B, given the politics of Wisconsin now and how things are going here, minus the presidential election, because I like the way that went, um, really shocking how liberal that was. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that, because this is about science. It would also be important to mention that I live in Wisconsin and do attend the University of Wisconsin while I'm not at Oakton. That's why I care about Wisconsin. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Anyways, to make a long story short about seatbelts and why it took 30 years to get airbags, basically people just resisted wearing seatbelts. People were not happy about them. People thought they were more dangerous. Uh, For example, if you were to submerge your car in the lake, which is what everyone does, obviously, apparently, when they get into an accident, uh, the seatbelt would prohibit you from getting out. So people just really, truly resisted it. This resistance actually made airbags come into fruition and That's because people resisted seatbelts so much that the secretary of the Department of Transportation actually came up with this ultimatum in 1985. Unless two-thirds of states came up with mandatory seatbelt laws before April 1st, 18, not 18, 1989, then the the ultimatum was that automakers would have to install driver's side airbags. 
um, basically this two-thirds benchmark was not met and the resistance of the people did this. The truth of the matter is that airbags protect your head and torso, whereas seatbelts do not, and people felt that the seatbelt laws were infringing on their personal liberties, so that's why there was so much resistance. Despite the resistance and the people's opinions, I do want to note that by 1974, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration predicted that airbags alone would reduce the risk of death in a car crash by 32%, and they were not wrong because a NHTSA study has found that driver airbags reduce the risk of death and frontal crashes by 29%. Like, that's pretty significant. Like, that's one in every three people, essentially. I hope you enjoyed my mini lesson on the history of airbags and seatbelts. If you're interested in more, I've linked some links in the show notes. And uh, now we're on to Chemistry Avenue. If you recall earlier, I mentioned I wanted to talk about this because I was able to smell the gas from the airbag. And what I realized is, is it's good that we smelled that because that means the airbag is working. Now the question is, is, well, how do they work? You know, when does the car know that it's been in an accident? The Washington University in St. Louis explains it better, and they say that in the car, there's a sensor. And this sensor is basically a little ball that slides inside this, like, smooth bore, and it's held in place by a magnet or a stiff spring. And uh, basically, that inhibits the ball's motion when you go over a bump or a pothole or a speed bump, whatever. But when the car decelerates very quickly, like when you're in an accident, that those mechanisms can't stop the ball from moving, and that's what triggers the airbag to inflate. That's what starts the chemical process. At this point, if you're thinking this is way too much science for you and it's over your head, I'm going to tell you right now it's not because I am not the most sciencey person, and let me, let me reiterate. If you've taken any introductory chemistry class, even in high school as a freshman or sophomore or whatever, you may not remember this, but you have touched on the topic of gas laws, and gas laws are what allow the airbag to do its job. I actually can recall my sophomore year of high school, which was five years ago. Um, we did an airbag lab where we put chemicals, whatever's in your you know chemistry lab in high school. Uh, you put these chemicals in a bag, and then you you know hit it with something hard and quick, like a like an accident per se, and then it inflates. And it's cool because you can see the process of an airbag without actually using your airbag because those things are expensive to replace. Not that I know from personal experience. If you're interested in this lab and what it entails, I've linked a lab in the show notes. Sadly, it is not the exact lab as I couldn't find it in my old files. But shout out to Miss Curtin. Uh, she was a great chemistry teacher who did that lab with me almost six years ago. So take a look in the show notes. I'm going to push your brains a little now, but if you really remember chemistry, there's this thing called the ideal gas law, and that's just the PV equals NRT equation, pressure times volume equals moles of whatever, times the R constant times temperature in Kelvin. Um, it's a great equation if you have four of the five variables and you want to solve for the other. But uh, that's enough math for today. Actually, just kidding, I lied. So in the equation, PV equals NRT, the V and the N are on opposite sides of the equal sign, which means they have a direct relationship, which really means as one increases, the other increases. So that makes a lot of sense with the airbag as the moles of gas increase, so does the volume. Okay, now I'm actually done with math, so you're welcome. Let's move on. All right, what would a podcast be if I didn't interview one of my roommates? Everyone say, hi, Lexi. Hi, Lexi. All right, Lexi, I have some questions for you. All right. Have you ever been in a car accident where the airbags go off? I have been in a car accident where the airbags went off. And when they went off, did you even realize, like, what was happening? No, it happened so fast that I didn't even realize what was happening until, you know, the car was crashed. (laughs) Yes, and 
when did you hit the airbag or did it hit you per se yeah i but i like didn't feel it it went off super fast like less than a second and then when you looked at it was the bag full or empty no it was deflated yes okay <laughs> good good because that's how it's supposed to be remember so when i said did the airbag hit you it's really more did you hit the airbag can you explain why you would have hit the airbag versus it hitting you that's because of inertia and Newton's first law. Okay, I got a one on my AP physics test in high school. What is that? So <laughs> Newton's first law says that an object in motion will stay in motion until it's acted on by an equal and opposite force. So what you're saying is, is when the car immediately decelerated and the car stopped, you kept going. Yes. And that's why you hit the airbag. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Physics. <laughs> Physics. All right. Everyone say bye and thank you to Lexi. Bye and thank you, Lexi. <laughs> thank you to Lexi for an awesome physics lesson. But I want to talk about something she said, and that was that the airbag was deflated by the time she even realized what happened. So what people may think is that you're supposed to hit the airbag when it's fully inflated, right? Like that's its job. The answer is no. You're supposed to hit it while it's deflating because it inflates so fast that the airbag is essentially like as hard as a rock. So if you were to hit it while it was inflating or fully inflated it would actually hurt you but given that it inflates so fast and then begins to deflate that gives the accident enough time to happen where you're gonna hit it while it starts to deflate and it doesn't hurt you which is awesome science because the reaction that the airbag does is you're not supposed to hit it while that happens you're supposed to hit it in the aftermath that's how fast it is the next order of business before I declare you an expert on airbags is, well, what kind of reaction in chemistry is, is this? Well, there are five basic types of reactions in chemistry, but the one we're going to focus on is called decomposition. And that's when you have a compound that turns into its components. So AB yields A plus B. Something starts as one thing and ends up as multiple. And that's what happens in the airbag. So in the case of the airbag, the AB per se, is the sodium azide, which is NaN3. When it is lit and ignited and triggered to yield products, it releases nitrogen gas, which is N2, and sodium, which is Na, and it is solid, solid metal. Now, what I was smelling wasn't the release of the gas. It wasn't the N2. It was actually the explosion that occurred that turned the sodium azide into nitrogen gas and sodium metal. It was the explosion. And that is the end of the airbag podcast. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned a little something. My main takeaway is A, chemistry saves lives, among other sciences. And B, please be careful when you're driving. And with that, see you next time.